There in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 20, Paul says, Now to Him who is able to do. Paul recognized that God is able to do because Paul recognizes that God is doing. God is working. God is still working in this world. God has not set the world up and wound it up just so He can watch it unwind and sitting back as an observer. God is actively working in our world. Just prior to this, in this chapter, Paul had talked about the work that God had, the, the re- revelation that He was giving of the mystery about Jesus Christ and fellowship in Him that He was making manifest to rulers and heavenly authorities through Christ's church. And we learn that the work that God has was to send His Son down to this earth so that He would die, so that we could be saved, so that we could boldly come into the presence of God as His children. In fact, in Ephesians 3.12, notice what it says, "...in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him." The Hebrew writer makes a similar point in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19 when he says, Hebrews 10 verse 19, "...therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. God is granting to us through His Son boldness that we may come into God's presence, that we may worship Him, that we may gather before Him. God is working. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 44. In John chapter 6, and verse 44, the Scripture describes God's work. Jesus says in John 6:44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. God is actively working regarding salvation. No one can come to Jesus except the Father draws him. Paul recognized God's work in our salvation in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We read this passage this morning. Let's read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Who's working? God is working to give the increase. God is able to do and is doing. I want you to notice the work of God considered in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18, as Paul talks about the body and all the parts therein, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, Paul says, "...but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased." In the context of this verse, he says, just like our bodies have the eyes where they're supposed to be and the hands where they're supposed to be, just as God wanted them there so that it could work as well as it ought to, that's the same way it is with the congregation. God has set the parts there as He needed it. That's amazing. Do you realize what that means? If God has been working to set the parts of this body where they need to be, that means we are especially equipped to do the work God wants us to do, doesn't it? Because He has been working here. God is working. Look in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. In Romans 8, 28, Paul says, 
and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. Paul says that all things will work together for good for those who love the Lord. Why? Because God is working. God has set it up that way. That when we love Him, we will be conformed to the image of His Son. God is behind that. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the Scripture says, "...to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This passage says that God is keeping those who are faithful. God is reserving a home in heaven for those who maintain their faith. And He is protecting us. God is working. And the thing that we can recognize about our God and about how great our God is, is that our God is so powerful that despite our free will and despite the free will of all those who would even oppose God, God is so powerful that what He wants to happen, what He plans to happen, we cannot overcome. That's not to say that God has predestined everything and that everything once He makes happen that way. But the fact is, when God has plans, we can do our best to destroy them, and all we can hope to do is help God accomplish what He wanted to accomplish anyway. Notice Acts 4. This is one of the most amazing things. Acts chapter 4, how powerful our God is. The apostles, specifically Peter and John, arrested, told by the council, you all stop preaching this gospel and then sent on their way. They come together with their brethren and they pray that God would be with them. I want you to listen to this prayer. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin halfway through verse 24. Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of Your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak Your Word by stretching out Your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of Your holy servant, Jesus. The apostles were saying, You have always been powerful. You've been working. And even when people were against You, You worked out Your plan. Now that they're against You again, continue working and use us to spread Your Gospel. But notice they quote from Psalm 2, verses 1-3. through 3. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they take their stand? against the Lord. Just like Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles took their stand against the Lord. They fought against God. But what did they accomplish? All they accomplished is what God wanted to happen anyway. 
the crucifixion of His Son. In their minds, it might seem like a great strike against God, and yet in the end, all they accomplished was what God had wanted anyway so that we could have a sacrifice for our sins. The fact is, our God is so powerful that it does not matter what our enemies do against us. It does not matter what the enemies of Christ's church does against the church. God wins. And what God wants, those who love Him to be conformed to the image of His Son, will take place. Because our God is working. And we can take comfort in that. But the second thing I want you to notice as you turn back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, is that it says that our God is working. But notice that it says at the end of verse 20, according to the power that works in us. According to the power that works in us. Lots of people are all confused about the work of God. They want the miraculous. They want the sensational. They want amazing things every time they gather together. And yet this passage says that God is able to work according to the power that works in us. He doesn't have to use miracles to accomplish His will. He can use us. And will use us. Now, I have no doubt that there were times when God indeed used His servants and He did miraculous things through them. But we recognize from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 8, that those things were for a particular time and for a particular purpose. That purpose has been fulfilled. That time has now passed. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 says that love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. That which is perfect has come. God's Scripture, His will, His completed revelation has come to us and now we can look into it and we can know the will of God. And we don't have to wait for more revelation. And so there is no more revelation. There is no need for those miraculous gifts. But God is still working through His servants according to the power working in us. Let's think about this. John 6, 44. We read just a moment ago in John chapter 6 and verse 44 that said nobody can come to Christ unless the Father draws Him. But notice verse 45. In John 6 and verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. How do they get drawn to, by the Father? Through teaching. They're taught. But as we read the Scripture, we find out that the teaching is not something miraculous. Rather, it's God working through men. Look at a couple of examples in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we find Saul on the road to Damascus. And he has a miraculous vision. Jesus appears to him. And in verse 4, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. 
It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Is that what yours says? That's not what mine says. You remember who told him that? It was the man that Jesus sent to teach him how to be saved. In the vision, Jesus said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. How was Paul taught of the Father? Not by the miraculous vision. He was taught by the Father through Ananias who came to him and taught him the truth. Look at Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. The angel didn't tell him what he must do. The angel said, you go get this man and he'll tell you what you must do. God works through us. And He has always done that. Even at times when He was using the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. The teaching of the Gospel was always done through us. God working according to the power that works in us. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it comes to the edification of the body, when it comes to the building up, when it comes to the keeping and the protecting and the strengthening that God does, He does it through the church, through the Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, He says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Verse 22, No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Notice the body is together. Why? Because we need one another. Because God is working through the body. So that when we're suffering, we have folks who can help us. So that when we're rejoicing, we have folks who can rejoice with us so that we have people that can help us grow. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Scripture says in Ephesians 4:11, And He Himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How does God work to protect us and help us grow to reserve that home in heaven for us because we're keeping our faith? He works through the brethren. As each part does its share, building one another up as we become more and more unified. What does this mean for us? Well, let me first say what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that God needs our help. This does not say that God was out there saying, boy, I wonder how on earth I'm going to get this accomplished. Wow, I sure am glad those people are down there who can help me. In Psalm 50 and verse 12, I believe that concept is cast out. In Psalm 50, beginning actually, let's begin at verse 10. He says, Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all its fullness. God's point there is, I don't need you. If I were hungry, I wouldn't call on you. What could you look, all this stuff out here is mine. I don't need you to get me some food. We need Him. Acts 17 and verse 28. Acts 17 and verse 28. Paul on Mars Hill said, In Him we live and move and have our very being. So we're not a part of this plan because God needed us. We're a part of this plan because God has been merciful to us and allowed us to be a part of this great work that He has for us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing that God would allow us to be a part of this plan? It doesn't mean He needs us, but I'll tell you what it does mean. It means He expects us to work. He expects us to do our share. He expects you, each of you, to do your part in accomplishing His work of glorifying Him. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, that's where it ended that He received the glory. In John chapter 15 and verse 8, John chapter 15 and verse 8, the Scripture says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be My disciples. God expects us to bear fruit, to glorify Him, 
And in verse 2, notice what he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. God expects us to be workers. He expects you to be a worker. And those who are not bearing fruit for him are cast out. But the second thing that this means for us is that we don't have to be overwhelmed because we're not working alone. Remember, God is working with us. God is working through us, using us and the abilities that He has given us to accomplish His will. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is with us. And we can be comforted by that. Do you remember when Moses was facing the burning bush and God was telling him, I'm calling you to go get my people Israel and bring them out? you remember how many excuses Moses came up with saying, I am not the man. I can't do this. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God didn't say, yes, you are, Moses. You're the man. You're the only one. He said, I will be with you. Because you see, Moses by himself, He wasn't the man. But God was with Moses. And so Moses could accomplish what God wanted him to. And that's what we need to remember. God is with us. And He has given us His Word to guide us. And we need to simply do it. And God will work through us. Which brings us to the third point from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says that God can accomplish more than we can even ask or think. What kind of vision do you have? As you look to the future, as you see yourself as a worker in God's kingdom, what kind of vision do you have of yourself and your part in God's plan? You need to remember that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. So think big. Ask big. Because God can do even more than that. Regrettably, however, far too often as we consider our part in the kingdom, we can't see past what we know we can already do. Well, I can't ever be a part of that. You know, I'm just, I'm just not that good at that sort of thing. I won't ever be a good teacher of the Bible because I just have a hard time in front of people and talking to people and, and I don't know if I can do this and I don't know if I can do that. Why not ask God to be with you and help you grow? Because God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. And if you turn to Him and study His Word and lean on Him and grow doing what you read here, you'll be amazed at what you can do because God is with you. Consider the example that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, 
the disciples had had some trouble healing someone, and they were asking why. And Jesus said in Matthew 17 and verse 20, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. If somebody were to ask you, what kind of weight do you think you could move? We might think somewhere from 50 pounds to 200 pounds, because if you're like me, less than that. But what kind of weight did God say His disciples could move? An entire mountain. But it comes by faith. God will move mountains through us. And I trust you recognize I'm speaking figuratively. But God can move mountains through us. People who persecuted Christians can become great teachers. People who were uneducated, fishermen, can become great leaders in the church. Those who are idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals can become strong, faithful Christians with faith in God. Because we can move mountains. God can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. What about with this church? What's the vision for the church? Five years down the road. Where do you think this congregation could be? And I'm not just talking about numbers and how many pews would be filled. I'm talking about what kind of work can this church be doing within five years? How many souls will be being taught every year because of this congregation? How many evangelists can be supported locally and abroad? How many elders will there be? How many deacons can there be? People qualified to fulfill these roles. How many folks willing to teach the Gospel? Far more than we could ever think or imagine if we just lean on God. And so as you're asking and as you're thinking, let me encourage you to think big. Because we're not in this alone. We're on God's side. And God is with us. And God can do through us more than you can imagine. And when it's done, we can turn and give God the glory and the praise because it is God who did it, working through us. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, through the, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, forever and ever. Amen. What a great passage. What can you do? More than you ever imagined if you lean on God. Would you pull out your songbook, please?